music is just is just by nature such a fun thing. I was getting really good results with the students and they were playing songs that they loved and they were sounding really good doing it. And if they were a kid, it, their parents were really happy because their kid was having fun with piano lessons. They weren't asking to quit. Just the fact that I was kind of just crazy for this business and always showed up like no matter what. I know that with my own students too. If I bring the energy, they match it. One of the scariest parts so far was committing as a 24 year old to a four year lease on a commercial building when I didn't know anything about business. I'm a piano player, I'm a musician. And so that was, uh, once I signed it, it was like, all right, game on. We have over 20 teachers on our staff and we have uh, over, over 500 students that come weekly for a lesson. I can tell you from my experience, it's the passion. That is something that if you have it in you, then, then run with it. I'm Darian. I'm Elena, and this is our podcast, Step Into Success. Where we give you an inside look at how people are currently creating success in their respective fields. Our mission is to bring you into the trenches for an inside view, and hopefully give some inspiration and knowledge as you work towards success in your own way. Welcome to another episode of Step Into Success podcast. Today, our guest is Anthony Sardini. He is the owner and founder of Accurate Performance Music Studio in Erie, Pennsylvania. I'll let Anthony introduce himself and tell more, but Anthony, thanks a lot for being on the show. Excited for the conversation. Just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Happy to be here with you today. So, yeah, I'm Anthony Sardini, and I own the Accurate Performance School of Music in Erie, Pennsylvania. And we're a private music school that does uh, lessons, training, and classes on pretty much all different musical instruments and uh, all different styles, ages, abilities. And uh, this is our, our 10th year in business now this year. Wow. That's exciting. I was going to ask you because I feel like it's been a, a while that you've been in business, but that was my next question. Ask, actually, was like how long you've been in business. So 10 years, very exciting. What inspired you to turn this into a business to get started? Really, it was, I, I had my own thing going where I was teaching private lessons, just myself. I would teach at uh, my local church. I would go to my customers' houses. Uh, I would taught at a local music store, all kind of at the same time. And it really, my own personal clientele really built so much that I, I needed a space that people could come to me for their lessons. And so that was, that was kind of where it all began, was uh, bringing my clients and getting them to come to this, this new physical location, this studio that I had founded. Very interesting. So were you drawn to entrepreneurship beforehand, or was it just kind of out of that necessity of, wow, my client, you know, I have so many clients that I actually, I need a space, I don't have a choice, or was it a yeah. little bit of both? It was, it was more of the second one. It was more of just it kind of just happened and snowballed and it got to the point where I really needed to make a move. And uh, as far as entrepreneurship goes, I'm not even sure I knew what an entrepreneur was when I started. It was just a few years going into it. It's like people kept saying that to me. I was like, oh, I guess, I guess that's me now because I was you know, a piano teacher before, not an entrepreneur. And, um, but my first taste of entrepreneurship was probably 
when I was much younger, I was probably 12 years old, and I remember my, my grandmother called me and said, Anthony, how would you like a job? And I was like, all right, sounds cool, can make some money, and she wanted to know if I would cut her grass for her every week in the summertime. Okay. And so I'm cutting her grass, like first or second week of the job, and all of a sudden her neighbor runs over and is like waving me down, and I stop the lawnmower, talk to the neighbor, and the neighbor's like, after you're done, can you come cut my lawn too? And I was like, all right, sure, I can do that. And then I kind of got this itch for like, wait a second, like I can kind of choose, you know, how much time I want to spend, how much money I can make. And so at that point I got a little greedy. I called my other grandparents and I'm like, hey, do you guys need anybody to uh, mow your lawn? But uh, so yeah, that was my, my first sort of taste of entrepreneurship, really owning my own schedule, owning my own uh, income. And of course, you know, having the, the pride of a job well done when you look at the lawn afterwards. But that was really the first taste of kind of having my own, my own business. But I didn't really know anything about business or entrepreneurship at that time. And then again, starting the private lessons later on, it just, it kind of, uh, it kind of found me, I guess, and kept growing and growing to the point that I needed to open a place. Uh, what happened was in high school, I was kind of known as the piano kid. And a lot of my classmates would ask me to teach them how to play the piano. And uh, so I would meet them at their church, or they would come to my house, and I would give them their lessons. Well, they liked it so much, they would tell our other classmates, and then I had this, like, clientele at school, and they would tell their parents, their parents would tell their friends, and over the years, it just got so big, it was like, okay, it's time to time to kind of make this, like, a real thing now, and not just me driving all over town teaching lessons. Interesting. That's really cool how that started. So when when you So you started teaching the lessons in high school, and then what age were you when you made the business, like, official? so to speak. My first piano lessons when I was 16, and I opened the business, the physical location of the business when I was 24. So you had some time to build your clientele, your students, and then how did you, when you first started teaching, did you notice like how you kind of grew and developed in those eight years that made you feel more confident of like, I can actually, you know, make this happen as an actual business? Because isn't it kind of different to just be teaching one-on-one to like now business ownership, location to manage, you know, rent to pay. It's a little different. How did that transformation happen for you? Yeah, totally different. So first of all, when I started teaching lessons when I was a teenager, I taught lessons the way that I was taught lessons. So I just pretty much emulated the teachers that I had previously and just did what I knew. The problem was is I realized a lot of my students weren't necessarily having fun or enjoying it or sticking with it. Like a student would quit and that really bothered me because I was thinking, wow, like I'm sure I can show you how to do this, but they weren't, it wasn't connecting for some reason. So a couple years into it, I eventually strayed away from what I had known to be like the music lesson experience and created my own way of doing things. And it was at that point that I was getting really good results with the students, and they were playing songs that they loved, and they were sounding really good doing it. And if they were a kid, it, their parents were really happy because their kid was having fun with piano lessons. They weren't asking to quit. Yeah, they were having fun, and they were playing songs that their friends knew, that their parents knew, and, and um, they were really feeling like a musician at that point, not just a piano student or a guitar student. They were feeling like they were doing it. now. When it comes to running the business, that was a whole different animal because, yes, I, f- I found a building, and in our location that we're in now, it wasn't the original spot we had picked. We picked a much smaller location, um, same, same plaza but a different building. But I was concerned it was going to be a little bit too small because I thought as long as I was opening my own studio, maybe I could have a place big enough to have other instructors join me, and we could have a team of, of music teachers. 
So the place I picked originally was a little bit smaller, and, and my real estate agent was like, well, how about that place in the middle? And it was about twice the size of the first place. And all I'm seeing is, you know, the rent cost and how much higher it's going to be. So we worked out a deal where it would start out at the price of the smaller building, and then every year it would work up to the price of the bigger building. But I could start in the bigger building. And so that's kind of how that went. That was my first real taste of, you know, the rent, the lease, those sorts of things. But opening the business wasn't just... You know, I, I kind of thought I'd open a music school and it would be just playing piano all the time. But, right. you know, eventually it's like, you know, you got to stock the bathroom, right? You got to clean. You got to make sure the equipment is good. You have to answer phone calls. All these other things came along with it. And I was not prepared for that when I first started. But fortunately, that sort of snowballed and I was able to figure it out along the way. So when you, because a minute ago you said that you didn't really know a lot about business, right? You were just had a passion for the music and teaching the lessons. Did you have anyone that helped you when it came to like, you're looking at rent, you're looking at these, you know, the building, you're looking at doing these different things. Did you have anyone that helped you or were you kind of doing this all on your own? It was, it was really, really on my own for most of it. I mean, I consulted with my family and, um, you know, I spoke to my parents about it at the time because I was, you know, very young, my young twenties. Um, so I, I mentioned it to them and their thought process was like, you know, the, that lease is a long time. That lease was going to be a four-year lease when I first signed it. And at 24 years old, that was, that's a big chunk of your life. And yeah. so they, they were like, oh, that lease is a little bit long. I don't know if I would do it. And then I mentioned it to one of my friends, and he's like, oh, that rent price is just so high. Like, I don't think I would do it. And then uh, finally I talked to my brother, and he's like, you know what? Just do it. He's like, you'll figure it out. And all it took was that one little nudge. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I remember when I got to the real uh, the realtor's office to sign the lease, I got all the way through the lease and I had the pen in my hand on the signature line. And it took me probably 15 minutes to actually get the courage to sign my name on this lease for this four-year deal. And that was that was one of the scariest parts so far was committing as a 24-year-old to a four-year lease on a commercial building when I didn't know anything about business. I'm a piano player, I'm a musician. And so that was, uh, once I signed it, it was like, all right, game on you got to make this work at least four years and then after four years you can go do something else but at least at least make it four years and then four years came and went and they were like do you want to re-sign the lease and I barely even read it I just signed it, it was like yes please let's do keep going because I need it I need, I need the space wow that is very interesting to hear how one person could help you just make that nudge, you know, push you to just do it. So do you think that like it was something inside of you that you really wanted to do it? And then everybody else is like naysaying, just didn't quite matter. I think I knew inside that I had to do something. There had to be a move to be made because there was this opportunity that I saw and it was either just keep doing what you're doing or take the step forward and, and hopefully get to a new level. And so I, I knew that that's really what, what I wanted to do. And um, yeah, all it took was just one other person to see it. So I just knew I wasn't completely crazy. And uh, fortunately that happened and gave me that little, little nudge that I needed. So for people out there in the audience that are, that are listening and maybe contemplating about starting their own business or they have a passion and they don't know if they should like pursue it into business or whatever, in your opinion, what's more important? having a strong passion and pursuing that or having a better understanding of like business fundamentals? Well, I can tell you from my experience, it's the passion. And that's, I feel like if you have the passion, the rest you can figure out. You can, you can research, you can learn, you can consult with other people that have done it before. Um, there, there are plenty of resources in the world to learn sort of the, the nuts and bolts of business. 
But passion is something that that is hard to teach and learn. That is something that if you have it in you, then then run with it. And the other thing is too is you know it's great to have a hobby too, and you do have to be careful not to try to make every hobby a business either. Because one thing I did find is there are points where you're like, you know, I love playing music, I love I love playing the piano, but once it becomes your job, it's a little bit of a different animal, right? It's like I'm if I'm teaching you know coaching musicians all day long, it's not always you know. Uh, a desire to now go and practice myself at the end of the day. It's kind of like, all right, you know, I've had a plenty of music for the day and that was great, but and I'll get more <laughs> tomorrow. So when you're, when you're, when you're chasing a hobby or turning it into a business, you know, I would just say, you know, make sure you still keep the passion for yourself as well. And don't just make it all about business all the time. How do you balance that within yourself, um, especially having a whole school where it is, I mean, I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine your days are pretty long just because there's only so many students you can have, there's only so many hours in the day, it's got to stay pretty full, right? So how do you keep that passion alive for yourself and your own, you know, musicianship? What's been really fun for me over this, this journey is that I have a large team of instructors now with me. And so my role has sort of shifted from teaching not only my own personal students, but also teaching the staff on how to be really good teachers and music coaches too. And so I've found sort of a new niche that I really enjoy, and that's in coaching teachers on how to be really good and effective coaches. And so that's been something that's, that's, that's been a new level of motivation and excitement and passion for me. But just as much I still love teaching the beginner piano lessons or the beginner guitar lessons or working with a singer that's advanced that wants to work on recording some music videos. Like I still love being in that part of the business as well. So it's, it's just having a couple different hats uh, that I wear throughout the day. And I have my days carved out so that I'm sort of in teacher mode for a period of time. And then I'm in leadership mode for a period of time. Uh, I'm always in leadership mode. That one's always in the background. Just you never know what's going to come up or happen. But, but I really do try to block out my days so that I'm with my clients for certain hours, with my staff for certain hours, and then by myself for certain hours where I can game plan and reflect and review the day and the week ahead as well. So it's just the calendar is very important uh, when it comes to how to balance those sorts of things. Yeah, I bet. I, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs kind of, they struggle with that, or at least in the beginning, of how to manage their time effectively because you do have to wear so many different hats. So I like that perspective of kind of chunking out the day because sometimes one mindset that you need for one task is totally different than the mindset you need to be in for another task. So by delegating that, I think that's actually really insightful. Yeah, and that's what's so. worked for me is, and I've also found that it's better for me to do my personal things uh, within the business first thing of the day. If I can get that over with first, where it's the things that's just, just up to me to get done and take care of, that's great. Because once we open and there's people around, it's like, I'm talking to people, I'm spending time with my students, I'm training a teacher, I'm just listening to the and watching the overall flow of things. So once people come around, it's like, it's hard to get that background work done. So it's really important to me to get that done before anybody else arrives and then then get to the, the people part when everybody else is there. Yeah, for Got sure. It. So Anthony, real quick, to Go, going back to something that you that you talked about earlier and as far as your business specifically goes, you said when you first started really doing this for business, you were teaching the way that you had been taught and you were doing the same type of stuff that your teachers had done. 
and you noticed that you were losing some students and you made some shifts and made it more fun for your students. Can you walk us through kind of your mindset, that process and how that innovation uh, came to be? To this day, when parents call our studio and sign up their kids for lessons, so often we hear the parent say, you know, I took lessons as a kid and I quit and I wish I had never quit. And okay. I, I hear it all the time. And to me, it's like, that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so many people just have that experience of trying out the guitar or the piano and it just wasn't for them. When really, I think it just, it, maybe the teacher wasn't for them. Maybe it was the way they were being taught because music is just, is just by nature, such a fun thing. Like everybody loves music. And I tell my staff, we're not here to teach people to love music. We're here to teach them how to continue and grow their love of music. Because music is just this almost innate thing that everybody just loves already. And so when I was getting these phone calls from these parents about how they quit when they were a kid, or when my students in the early days, when they were like, you know, I'm bored, I don't want to play anymore, this isn't fun. You know, I knew that there was way more out there because of how much fun I was having with music. Music has been such a, a great part of my life, and I knew that there was something that I experienced and understood that they weren't understanding yet. And so I went to set out to, how can I communicate kind of what I know and the fun that I'm having with those students so that the switch flips for them and they feel like, all right, like this is cool. I am becoming passionate about this, and I can do this, and I'm a musician now, not just this student that has to show up to their piano lesson every week. So to me, it was trying to connect those dots of, not just taking lessons, but how to actually make a sound that sounds really good and that you recognize and enjoy and your friends think is really cool because that always helps yeah. others motivate you and are into it. So that was really the process was, you know, I wasn't just going to quit because I didn't seem to be an effective teacher. I wanted to learn how to become an effective teacher and how to make those students feel the, the passion that I felt for music. And then once it clicks, it's like I have students that have been with me for 10 plus years that started when they were four or five years old, now they're teenagers, and they still come every single week for their lesson. All it needs is one little click, one moment, and it's like now they're in it. Now they're a musician. Now they see the trajectory, and and it's just, it's, it really is life-changing because those people will play music forever, just like I still play and practice music. Right. You know, Anthony, this is might be a, a difficult question for you to answer because you seem like a, a genuinely really nice, humble guy, but my, my question is, you know, how much do you credit your passion that you have for kind of rubbing off on your students? You know, because I'm sure there's teachers out there that are professional teachers, but they're, they may not love it the same way, right? And their students probably pick up on that energy. How much or how important do you think it is that your passion kind of, you know, rubs off on your students to help them increase their passion for it? Oh, yeah, it's, it's really important. And I think energy in general is contagious from person to person. And I'm telling my teachers all the time, like I understand we all have things that happen in life outside of work, but I always encourage them just take a deep breath before you walk into the building, refresh yourself because the moment you come in, your student is noticing. Are you on time? Are you happy to be here? Are you energetic? Are you encouraging? Because uh, it, it, the students do feel that. And I know that with my own students too. If I bring the energy, they match it. And, uh, that passion is something that I really think the coach or the teacher has to have if they're going to, you know, really, really um, mold the students into passionate people as well for their craft. So you've mentioned a few things that kind of differentiate 
your school of music from maybe others throughout this in your hometown and just throughout the nation. Are there any other factors that you attribute to your success? I know you had said like those first four years just kind of came and went. Um, how do you think you were able to maintain success, especially early on in the beginning through those first four years? The biggest thing I can tell you first off is my consistency in my work. There was a period of time for the first few years that I just showed up day after day after day. And maybe it wasn't the best sometimes because I might be a little sick or some, something, you know, um, might be wrong. I didn't want to get any students sick, of course, but I showed up. And I think that that consistent schedule uh, showing my students that I was serious about it allowed them to be more serious about it, too. And I'm telling my staff this all the time, like consistency is key when it comes to the appointment business. You have to keep showing up. It's it's difficult enough to motivate people already to like want to succeed and practice and work hard. It's even harder if you're doing that, but every other week you're like, hey, can we reschedule? Hey, can we reschedule? Can we cancel? So those are like, those are kind of bad words in my book. Unless it's an emergency, we really don't want to have to reschedule or cancel, or if it's you know well in advance with plenty of notice. Otherwise, our customers need to be able to count on us to show up. So I think part of that initial success was just the fact that I was kind of just crazy for this business and always showed up like no matter what. Um, there were even days when we first opened, people were like, hey, will you be closed for Labor Day or Memorial Day? And I'm like, I don't think so. Like, I'm pretty sure I'll be around. I'm here if you're here. And But now we take, you know, as it's grown, we now gladly take those holidays off and give the students and teachers a break. But at first I was like, nope, I'll work. I'll do it. And so I think that consistency of just showing up, you know, day after day really helped to that initial success. And then um, instilling that consistency in my staff has helped to grow the school overall now. We have over 20 teachers on our staff and we have uh, wow. over over 500 students that come weekly for a lesson so it's quite a it's quite a machine to keep to keep going and, and, and pulling forward yeah I'll bet I that's quite a few students over 500 you said wow so how do you maintain a schedule like that both your staff's availability just the physical availability in the space and then scheduling all of those students. Like, do you handle all of that? Do you have some assistance with scheduling? Yeah, I do have, I have, I have three really great administrators now, which is extra fun for me because it's like a whole new branch of the business that I, you know, I didn't have the luxury of having for the first probably uh, eight years or so. Uh, Cause really eight, for the first eight years, it was really just me and my own cell phone. And I would take my, my, my phone was my business phone, my personal phone. And so, you know, I could get a call at 6 a.m. and it could be my mother, it could be a customer. I have no idea who's calling my phone. Is it an emergency or what's going on? And then finally, one of my customers who also owns a business uh, shared with me how he purchased a business phone, has a business cell phone and a personal cell phone, which sounds kind of basic now as I look back, but back then I, I only knew one phone. And so, um, so now we have the business phone and we have three wonderful administrators that are in charge of the booking, the billing, the communications with customers, those sorts of things. And it's, it really feels like a luxury for me because the business didn't start that way. So I, I extra appreciate having the help for all the bookkeeping and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a great crew, the administrators, and uh, they help to keep the schedules in shape as well. So when we hire an instructor, we go through a, an observation and training period, and we agree to what their schedule is going to be. We have some instructors that are part-time teachers. We have some instructors that are full-time teachers. But we pick a schedule. Once they give us our schedule, we all have a shared program that we can view that schedule on. 
So the teachers can see their schedules, admin can see their schedules, I can see their schedules. And that really helps to keep everybody on the, the same page, literally. Hey, Anthony, real quick, uh, if you can, I want to go back in time a little bit to when you first started hiring people to work for you. So you've built this business, you signed the lease, you're in this place, it's your passion, you've been doing it since high school. What was it like sharing that responsibility with someone for the first time? When did you know it was the right moment to do? And what was turning the, the reins over to someone else a little bit, sharing in the responsibility like for you? I always knew from the beginning of starting this business that I wanted to have other people join me on the staff. Uh, the building was just way too big for just me. So the idea was to bring in other people and have this team of music teachers. And I remember when we first opened the business, uh, the first piece of equipment I ever bought was a, a Motif keyboard. And so I went to this person's house. I found it on uh, Marketplace. I went to this person's house to buy it. And this guy was selling it because his wife plays the piano. And I was like, wait a second, your wife plays the piano. Is she pretty good? She still play? And he's like, yeah. I said, would she like to teach? And so he's like, I don't know, I'll have her call you. And so she called me and said she would like to teach, and she joined us. So that was the extent of our hiring process back on day one. <laughs> nice. I wouldn't recommend that to your listeners. That's not a good way to go. Um, <laughs> hey, sometimes things work out like that, though, right? She turned out to be a great teacher. She's one of the best for a couple years. Did she do years. a good job? She, what's that? Did, did she do a good job? She did a really good job. Yeah, she was with us for a couple of years, and then she moved across the country for family stuff. So, uh, But she was she was great, and I was very fortunate when I first hired to actually work out really well. But I had this, this misconception that it all would be that easy. So that's how I hired the next few. And, uh, yeah, I had this sort of expectation for no good reason that when I hired a teacher that they would be like a good teacher and do a good job. And uh, that's when I learned that, okay, if I'm going to have a staff, I have to do the work with these people and teach them and guide them and make sure they have the tools that they need, make sure they have the personalities and the talent. Uh, because at first it wasn't that hard to get in. And um, now it's it's definitely a more extensive process. Now when we hire somebody, it's definitely a multiple interview process. And then we have a period of observations where they get to observe the staff and kind of learn the ways of the studio. And then they do practice lessons and we observe them. So it's it's definitely more intricate than just, hey, do you play the piano? Nice. Yeah, it's interesting um, just kind of how things evolve. Do you find that as you continue to grow, you are having to really refine those processes more and more? Oh, yeah, absolutely. One thing that I'm really learning is the more people are involved, the more intricate and detailed your plans have to be. When it was just me and like three other teachers, it wasn't that hard to communicate. But now to have over 20 staff members the the planning and preparation is definitely way more refined and i feel a bit like a broken record sometimes to my staff because i'm always saying the same important things over and over again but i do believe that repetition is just important and i never want there to be a doubt in their mind of you know what they're to do in certain situations or how our day-to-day -day operations are so absolutely the, the process has become more refined as the company has grown to more and more people because i can't just say something one time and expect 20 people to remember it uh so we put things in writing um, once in a while, I'll have um, the team just sign certain things for me to say, like, hey, we had this conversation. We're on the same page. That way, if someone does forget, you know, I can pull up the paper and say, hey, remember, we talked about this, and this is how we do things, and this is the plan. And that's something that I, I never would have even thought about doing in the first few years. I would, just, I would just get upset with somebody, and then they would be surprised I was upset. 
Um, but now I've learned some repetition, give people the chance to really learn and absorb the information, and then inspect it as well. Um, inspect, make sure everybody's you know doing the plan. That's why I have a business because I have a plan and I have a way of doing things. So I'm going to train my staff to do things the way that we do them, and um, and that seems to be working really really well. And my whole goal is to make their jobs as easy as possible. I want them to come in and experience music and share the gift of music with our clients. And that's it. Everything else, you know, I'll take care of the business from there. But if I can get people that have the personalities, the talent, want to share music, you know, that's all you have to really worry about. But there are the intricate details that I just have to remind people of, you know, every so often to make sure we all stay on the same page. What are some of the main challenges as you've grown and as you continue to grow like even projecting forward, what are some of the main challenges you have faced that you're currently facing, expect to face? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, one of the biggest challenges we've we've faced, and this is kind of a good challenge, is how to create and find more space for what we're offering. We started out yeah. with a building, okay. that first building I was telling you about that we found. We still have that building. Um, we built three private lesson rooms, and then we had a large open room for dance classes and workshops and things like that. As the music business grew, we kept slowly building out that large open space with more smaller private lesson rooms. So that building that started with three lesson rooms eventually had eight lesson rooms in it. And then we built out part of the lobby to add two more lesson rooms. So we put we have 10 lesson rooms in that building now because we were, we were growing as a staff as well. We had more students, and to facil- facilitate more students, we had to have more staff members. For more staff members, we had to have physical rooms for them to actually teach in and give lessons in. So just a couple of years ago, we also expanded to a second building in the plaza that we're in. And then just this year, we expanded to a third building in the plaza. And so we have three different units in this plaza now. Two of them are mainly private lesson rooms. We have 14 private lesson rooms total. And then one is a big open facility that we have performances, rehearsals, productions, and things like that in. But the biggest challenge has just been how to continue the trajectory of the growth when you only have so much physical space. And again, that's a good problem to have, but you have to be creative as well, because like I said, not all the teachers are full-time necessarily. So you can't just go getting more buildings and more spaces because the rooms have to be filled most of the time for it to be worth your, your time and your cost. So another challenge has been balancing out those 14 studio rooms that we have available with 20 plus different teachers, how to make sure that we're using this space effectively, how to make sure that the teachers have a room that's suitable for what they need to, to do for their jobs. Um, so that's been a, a, one of the biggest challenges is coordinating where everybody is at what time and making sure that we don't just have all this empty studio space sitting around as well. So that's been, that's been certainly one of the biggest challenges as we grow. Um, the other challenge I sort of alluded to earlier was the challenge of keeping everybody on the same page. As it gets bigger and bigger, you have to constantly communicate with the staff. So we'll do, we do one really big like full team training event each year that's sort of like a big company party slash training workshop. Um, it's really grown to be a, quite a big event, actually. I joke with my staff and tell them it's my fourth favorite national holiday. But that's our yearly, <laughs> yearly event we do in the summer. We call it AP Academy, Accurate Performance Academy. And that's sort of the retraining that we do with all the teachers each year. We remind them about who we are, why we do what we do. We do role-playing. They, they practice giving lessons in front of each other. We share stories from the past year. We talk about what our goals are for the upcoming year. And it, it really has been an effective way to build a team. But that's another challenge is keeping everybody, every, everybody growing and going at the same rate. Because if you don't do those things, you take off and then you kind of realize there's a few people that are still stuck back in 
you know, old ways of doing things are, they're not up with, with our new systems and methods. So constantly communicating is just, you know, always something to, to be reminded of when you're leading a, a team, at least for me, that, that feels much larger than it used to be. Yeah. Hey, so Anthony, one more thing I, I wanted to ask you, something I'm, I'm personally very curious about, and you don't have to give away like exact cost or anything like that here on, on the show right now. Um, we're going to have all of your information in the description. People can, can look you up, but if I was selling, let's say cucumbers, for example, right. Um, to determine that cost, I'm like taking into account, like, okay, the, or if let's say I'm selling pickles, I'm going to say, I got to take into account the cost of cucumbers, how much time it took me to jar them and refrigerate them and someone to go out and sell them and all that. You're in a service-based industry. Um, how do you go about determining what the fair cost to your students it is? you know, balanced with like what you got to pay your staff, how much it costs you for the facility, how much it costs you for the equipment. There's got to be a lot of things going on to determine like a, a cost. How do you go about doing that? Fortunately for me, before I opened the business and involved other staff members, you know, I was doing it on my own and I had already had customers that were paying me a certain rate. So that that was just expanded into the business so we sort of had an easy starting rate i didn't change my rates when i opened the business from when i was you know driving house to house or teaching people in my house so the rates were kind of just set by default um because because we had established that prior um when it comes to staff costs and you know what they're paid um, i did do just some market research on that and and kind of figured out you know what a what a fair good going rate was for that type of service. Um, also taking into account you know what our business expenses are, what you know the overhead would be, and to make sure that it would be something that could be sustainable and that could that could actually sail. Um, because the last thing I wanted to do was ever get ourselves in a position that we couldn't maintain affordability um, as well. So to answer your question, I would say the the customer price was sort of a default from what I was already doing. And then the, the staff cost was just some research on, you know, maybe what other studios were paying teachers and, and so on. So with wanting to maintain that um, ability to, you know, keep everything affordable for the business, how do you approach the decisions that you have to make when you're looking to take that next step and grow and maybe looking at purchasing another building? Um, how do you handle those kind of risk assessments in business development? Personally, I'm, I'm, I'm just the kind of person that has to have uh, sort of a, a cushion of, of comfort when it comes to finances. So, like, I don't, I, I personally don't borrow money on the business. Um, so I only grow as fast as our income will let us as well. So that's really how that decision becomes a little bit easier is to know if we actually have the money and if it's a, a reasonable percentage of, of uh, the money that we have reserved as well for projects like our expansions or building out the new building, things like that. Um, you know, we look at those things first and then I project out, you know, if I expand this space, you know, how many new staff members can we hire? How many new customers can they handle? And I always figure out like what the maximum might be and then I usually cut it in half. I'll go anywhere from 50% and then maybe up to like 70% if I'm feeling, you know, optimistic. Um, but, but I always assume that less is going to come in so that when less does come in, I don't even feel it. It's just, it's just as expected and as planned. So I look at, 
again, how much how much money we have saved up and if we can actually afford to make a move or an investment. And then also, what are the potential revenues coming in from that move that we're going to make? Because if it looks promising and good, then you know I'm happy to to expand and go ahead and pull the trigger on something like that. Also, if I have the people to do it too, like over the years, some of my staff members have come, come to me and said like, hey, I have an interest in you know, recording music. Have you ever thought about recording our students? Or I, I do photography and videography. What about music videos someday? Or I love musical theater. Can we do a full-blown musical with our students? And, and I'm a very open-minded person and I love ideas. So all it takes is one of my staff members to show some interest in something. And I'm like, all right, great. Like, how can we make this a part of what we do now? And so having the people behind it uh, is, is really helpful as well. Having people you can trust to pull off these, these new expansions and adventures and things like that too. I imagine that makes your staff feel more like involved too. Like, like the business is also like they have their piece of it, you know, because their ideas are heard and even implemented. So is that kind of what this new production building is? It's like music videos and like musicals and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Over the years, we've had just our private lesson rooms pretty much. And, and the whole point of having this newer open space is to bring all of our students together now, to perform together, to collaborate, to uh, record music videos. We've had our, our concerts in this building. We have rehearsals. Um, we've had our team training sessions in this building too. So it's been nice to have a larger space that we can uh, really bring people together instead of just being one-on-one -on -one all the time in, in smaller lesson settings. How has that uh, helped like the your students? Like how have you seen them grow because of that or even your teachers too with that new arm of the business? Yeah, it's been extraordinary for the teachers and, and, and I tell my staff all the time like just because we're doing these things, don't feel obligated to feel like you have to stretch yourself to new opportunities here too because I love, I love that they teach and they teach really well. But for the, the customer or the uh, staff members that are looking for a new opportunity or something to add, you know, they... They've been very vocal about how thankful they are that we now do these newer programs also because it goes beyond just the lesson classroom in the sense that not only are they teaching their students how to play the instrument or how to sing well, but now they're creating a product that they can show for it because they're recording or producing the students and the students can now send it to their grandparents or they can post it on their own social media or we feature them on our social media. And it's been this really cool sort of community vibe going on now where the students see each other and the, the teachers are around each other more because it's not just private lessons. Uh, we have teachers now collaborating where one will work the camera, one will work the audio equipment, one will produce the video. And so it's a, it's a nice way to bring everybody together. And the teachers have been very, very thankful for that opportunity. So that's something I'm looking forward to continuing to grow. And the students really like it too because it gives them something to aim at. You know, we, I, I hope we're good enough that you want to keep seeing us every single week for your lesson. But it's still good to have something to aim at, whether it's an upcoming concert or a music video shoot, or we're doing a songwriting session. Things like that help to give you checkpoints and, and motivate you along the way and, and keep you practicing and growing. Definitely. That's, that's really inspiring to hear, too. Because of that community element, I feel like that helps, you know, students and teachers alike just, just really give it a little bit more of their all because they have that target. So... That's really exciting to hear. And they can share so ideas. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. They can, and they can share ideas together too. You know, and that's that's yeah. really a fun thing is when you bring them together, it it creates new newer ideas and newer opportunities because of all the all the brain power combined. Yeah, yeah. definitely. 
Um, so you had mentioned your social media and kind of these platforms that you're sharing these new experiences on. What other, I guess, how do you approach your marketing? Is it strictly social media? Um, I know in the beginning you said there was a lot of word of mouth that helped get new clients in the doors. How do you approach that now? Yeah, word of mouth was the biggest way at the beginning. Like I said earlier, you know, it was just families telling their friends and their families uh, about what I was doing. And that's how it was for a long time. But as the staff began to grow, I saw a, a responsibility on myself to get these schedules filled up for these teachers. And I looked at it as it wasn't just me anymore. I now had five, eight, 10, 12 different mouths to feed now. And it's like, now I've got to market and get these get these people some customers, right? We've worked hard and I've taught them how, how we do things here. Now I've got to get them customers. So that's when I started becoming a little bit more intentional about now we're going to actually market and advertise and not just rely on the referrals and things like that. So when it comes to marketing, one of the first things we did in the early days is we did radio. Um, I think I was just, I didn't know much about marketing and the radio people were the ones that happened to walk into my building and just catch me on like a, a cold call, but in person. And fortunately for them, they got someone that, you know, really had no idea about any of it. So I looked to them for, I thought it was a cool opportunity. Um, and, and radio is a good opportunity. Um, and it really taught me a lot to, to be on that. But that was the first thing we started with. We did some events here and there in town too. Uh, like there were some uh, events that came to town and we would set up a booth and talk about our lessons and do things like that. We also did some TV commercials in the earlier days. And then obviously in more recent years, we've leaned heavily on social media. And the social media has been really fun because we've been able to get creative and do a lot of that on our own now too. And um, so a lot of social media is kind of our main way, although we definitely utilize radio and TV as well. I, I prefer to be consistent uh, with our presence in the community and with our advertising. So I, I will typically have something out there all the time just so people are constantly you know, hearing our name and music lessons and the Accurate Performance School of Music. And when they think about playing the guitar, I want them to call Accurate Performance. And if they want to sing well, I want them to call Accurate Performance. So just constantly being present like that seems to really help. And then we do, we're very thankful we still have a lot of good word of mouth referrals also. Do you find that any of those channels have a better return on investment for uh, the dollars that you're putting into it? Um, or is it just kind of maintaining that presence no matter what channel it's on? I like to have a little presence on everything, no matter what the return is. If I see a good return, then I'll just invest more in that one channel. Um, for example, for as big as social media is, there's still a huge impact from the radio and television. It's just, um, for, for some reason, that seems to really still catch a lot of eyes and ears. Um, but I go with what's working. I mean, if I hear my customers saying, we saw you on TV, we saw you on TV, then I might lean more into the TV budget and, and do some more of that. Or if we get more more likes or comments on a Facebook post, maybe we'll lean more into that for that month. So it definitely it definitely flows based on what I think is working. But generally, we have sort of a baseline uh, of of presence on various platforms, and then every month it's tweaked based on you know what what we're what's going well and what we're looking for. Gotcha. So. I kind of want to go back just a little bit. I, I missed this question at the beginning of the interview, but can you share with our audience, you had mentioned, you know, that first initial trying to get the building and kind of the dynamic that happened there with, you know, the larger space versus the smaller space. But what else, when you were very first starting out, what other things did you encounter that um, you had to figure out to get started? 
Yeah, first of all, it was a bit of a challenge. I mean, the plaza they were in is great, but it was a challenge to convince them that a 24-year-old should have the biggest building, one of the biggest buildings in the, right in the center of the plaza. <laughs> and so my realtor said, he said, I'm going to go to bat for you here, but you got to write a good business plan. you got to walk in and show these people what your plan is. And, and I love a challenge. I'm, I'm competitive by nature. Like, I love to, to work hard and show people what we can do. Um, but that was a challenge at first, um, just getting, getting the company uh, to, to lease to me because, you know, they probably thought maybe he's a 24-year-old, he's got this idea now, but in three weeks he's going to be moving on to something else. I have no idea what they thought. But it worked, and uh, they let us have, you know, do the lease. And uh, another challenge was how we how we portray ourselves to the public now that we're an established public you know an established business uh because before again it was just me and it was still just me but now i had a building so we got our first sign and it was a very very ugly perfectly large square <laughs> sign it was so awkward and and i and i liked it because i made it but yeah. the but the landlord sent their manager down and knocked on my door and said hey like what's up with your sign on our building really oh, yeah no. and that was my that was a, a first moment for me where i was like okay like there are a lot of people watching right now like wow. this isn't this isn't just you anymore you gotta you gotta uh you know make sure everything is all the right boxes are being checked so we took that sign down we got a more professional nicer looking sign and um but but little things like that were just it's not something i would have expected to deal with when i first opened i thought oh i'll get a sign it'll be fine right but no, they didn't like it very much, so I got a different sign. Um, some other challenges, this is another interesting thing, is I wanted the place to be really fun, not just for my mm-hmm. students, but I wanted it to be fun for the families that were waiting for their lessons, too, in the lobby. Okay. I had a lot of families that I coached and taught that had multiple siblings taking lessons with me. And so I had this brilliant idea to get to go to Toys R Us, and in our lobby we would put like little kids' golf clubs, and we had a basketball hoop that would go on like the bathroom door and with a uh, uh, foam basketball. We had, we had a table with um, crayons and paper that, and coloring books that I would put out. And like, to me, that was a great idea. Like what a fun place to be. You can play games while you wait. Well, in a matter of weeks I go out there and like the kids are like smashing the golf clubs off the walls, like hitting the ball as hard as they can. The kids are drawing (laughs) on the walls with the crayons and color pencils I put out. So it's like, the furniture was really nice in the beginning so I was so excited and I had all this pride in this new place and like the leather would get ripped and it's like you learned very quickly that like the kids were pretty brutal on all the nice things we tried to have so we had to we had to pivot away from some of those things as much as I thought it was fun to have mini golf in the lobby it was uh yeah. it was a, it was quite a disturbance then they, they were trying to focus in the lessons and it sounds like there's you know um you know a professional hockey match going on in the in the <laughs> lobby or something so so that was something else was just another challenge to navigate was like, how do you create that customer experience overall in a way that is pleasant for most people and sustainable and is fun, but not too rowdy, those sorts of things. But again, you just learn along the way and make adjustments. So I see the grand piano in the background there. Was that so, like a piece of equipment that you had to purchase when you first started? Or was it mostly you had like your personal piano and other personal instruments how did that go for you getting started yeah this piano behind me we actually just got last year um this is one that we got just for our large studio space the building i'm in talking to you right now is the large open space that i've been telling you about the other buildings are more private lesson rooms 
okay. in them. Uh, but this this piano we got for the purpose of this room for concerts, rehearsals, recordings, things like that. Um, when we first started, I, I kind of collected pianos. Um, I say collected, but it was really like just three or so from just people that were giving them away in the community. I just I would go to these um, estate sales and you know, maybe I'd, I'd pick one up for a couple hundred bucks or if it was a donation, I would I would take it. And then we moved three pianos into our, our building initially. And that's how that started. And then I always wanted a, a white baby grand piano. And in our okay. first year, later that fall, I found one available about an hour and a half away. And so I got in the car, drove to check it out, loved it. And, um, and that came back with us then that first year. So we still have that piano. It's probably my favorite because I feel like it was like, one of the OG pieces of equipment in this <laughs> in the studio. So I have very fond yeah. memories. That's, that's the piano I've played probably more hours than any over the last decade. Um, so we still have that in the other building. But yeah, over the years, we've just upgraded as we go. So the pianos that were donations that maybe weren't as high of quality, we would, we would phase those out whenever we found something that was a little bit better. And just it's been a slow building process of equipment and guitars and amplifiers and speakers and drum sets, pianos, all those things. So you seem to have a pretty good, um, I would say, like even balanced head for business, even though you have all that passion. I like your approach to just kind of steadily growing, maybe not being super risk heavy um, because you have a full team that you're willing to support. Um, Do you look into any type of like personal or business development that help you kind of hone those interpersonal skills as you're growing i do yeah i'm always i mean i love i love podcasts i love uh, reading i love books um so i learn a lot from those things i think there was one one day in the business when i was teaching an adult student of mine and there was something in business that was just bothering me that day i think maybe there was a, a staffing thing that happened or something and Usually I'm a very private person and I don't, I don't like share a whole lot, especially to my students. I'm there to serve them. I'm not, they're not here to hear about, about my stuff. Um, <laughs> but this particular day I happened to open up to this guy and I was like, oh, you know, like this happened. I'm kind of down about it or frustrated. And he opened up to me and let me know that he used to be the president of a very large corporation. And that was the moment where he, every lesson from then on out, we'd spend like half the lesson talking about business and half the lesson talking about his music. And that was really helpful to me to have someone that I could just talk to that had business experience. And he's really helped me to shape. He's shaped a lot of, you know, the, the current ways that we do operate and do things. And he's still a good friend and he's still a student as well. Um, but that was that was a moment of of learning for me and, and learning for somebody else that was in business. Um, I've done other programs in the past, like I've, I've gone to certain conferences that are that are business conferences for small or large businesses. And, and that's always nice to connect with other business owners, but also to hear the presenters as well. The presenters are there for a reason and they always have a lot of knowledge to impart typically. So I do things like that, but my main source right now is just, um, you know, I love podcasts and I love reading. Do you have any favorites off the top of your head that you could recommend to the audience? Yeah, I have one, one favorite podcast that I just love. It's called Entree Leadership the Entree Leadership Podcast, and it's uh, created by Dave Ramsey, who was a financial guy originally. Um, but it, it airs every Monday. And what's really cool is um, Dave Ramsey, the guy that started, has over 30 years of experience in his business, and he takes phone calls the whole show. 
from business owners. And it's really fun to hear the different phone calls that come in, the different situations the business owners run by him. Because as a business owner, you can relate to so many of these things. Like we're all going through the same stuff. It doesn't matter what your industry is or what your business is in. We all have the same things to deal with. And so hearing these phone calls and how he responds to them, you know, I, I think he, he's got a lot of wisdom and knowledge that he, he can share. Um, so how he responds and coaches the caller, I think, is, is really fun. And I can, I can apply that to my own business and my own situations, too. So the Entree Leadership Podcast is one that I, is pretty much my go-to on, on Mondays when it's out. Nice. Entree, entree Leadership? Entree Leadership, yeah. It's, it's a combination of entrepreneur and leadership. So nice. It's, I hear there's a new podcast out called Step Into Success Podcast that people should <laughs> check out too. It's got some pretty, uh, it's got some pretty good information as well. Hey, uh, but no, seriously though. Um, so, Anthony, let me ask you: What advice do you have for anyone who's maybe got a passion and maybe they don't even know if they should monetize it, or maybe they think, "Hey, should I monetize this?" and they don't really know how. People kind of in that realm uh, where you were you know, at one point, what, what advice do you have for people looking to get started? I would say putting together a package of what you have to offer is a really good, really good place to start. And meaning like, can you give us an example? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned selling pickles earlier, your pickle business. Okay, your hypothetical pickle business, right? There's a lot that goes into it. You got to get the cucumbers. You got to do whatever cucumbers do to become pickles or however that works. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. If, you get if, the if, jars. If, yeah, if you actually had that business, you'd have to somehow portray to a customer what you're actually going to do for them, right? And what that process looks like. What's the step-by-step for what they can expect when they interact with you, when they actually give you money for, yeah. for something else in return? Like, what does that look like? So when I say putting a package together, it's like having your act together. If you had... 30 seconds to, to share what you do and see if you can get someone to, to buy in, what would that package look like? What would that 30-second spiel look like? So get your, get your act together would be step one. Like what is your actual thing that you can sell, that you can do? And then another piece of advice, uh, is just something that I've learned over the years, is you have to just keep showing up and you have to stick with it because this stuff will not happen quickly. It just it's, it's very difficult. Um, uh, you know, it's not going to be an overnight success. Usually, uh, you have to keep showing up. You have to stick with it because there will be times when it feels like it's not happening or it's not working. But um, it's just something that I think if you have a passion and you really believe in it and there's potential, then stick with it. You got to stay with it. So that's the other thing that I would say: um, find out how to package and present it, and then go out there and stick with it and do it. Or pick a period of time that you're going to commit to that you're going to really push this thing or this new product or this new service. And then pick that period of time, and then at the end of that period of time, assess it. Is it going great? Cool. Keep doing it or grow it. If it's not, well, can you adjust or tweak? Or is it is it worth continuing or is it not? Um, but the other thing is when you, have a, when you have a passion or a hobby, it's fun to get excited about that yourself. But you have to remember that you're also there to serve other people. And how can you get them excited about it? Or how can you deliver and maintain their excitement? Because people call my studio, and they're already excited about music. They want to they play the guitar. But when they show up for their first guitar lesson, we have to actually be good enough and cool enough that they see a path forward. We don't want them to leave their first lesson thinking, wow, that was really hard and complicated, and I don't think I can do this. We want them to see the potential in that. So that, again, goes back to sort of the package that you have to offer and how you present it. So presentation, um, some perseverance and sticking with it, I think those will, that, will, that will go a long way in the beginning. Okay. 
Great yes. advice yeah. there. Love it. So Anthony, uh, just kind of as we're getting ready to sign off here, can you tell us what does success mean to you from where you started to where you are now? Success to me means making a good positive difference in people's lives. And that's just me. That's just my own personal feeling on it. But I feel most successful. Like at the end of the day, I'm most proud and happy with my job when I feel like that there's there's some people throughout the day that I spoke to or I coached and that that they're probably a little more excited about everything after we met than they were when we first met. And that to me is success. If we can make that positive impact, show them hope for growth in their music or just their life in general, I just love that. And that is why I do this stuff. Awesome. So we are going to put links um, in the video description and everything, but if you want to just give a shout out, where can people learn more about you and what you do? The best way to find us would be our website, which is accurateperformancemusic.com. And then we're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok as well at Accurate Performance. Awesome. Great. Anthony, love the conversation. Thank you so much for taking time to be here with us today. And, uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great. All right. Have a good one, man. You too.